Thessalonians chapter 3. <clears throat> Second Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to actually uh, be continuing last week's message. <clears throat> Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Last week we... The title of the message that we're continuing this morning is uh, Unity Will Bring Stability, and we talked about this. And I'm going to very quickly kind of review last week in case you were not here uh, so that you understand where we're going to be going this morning. Um, But unity brings stability. And um, uh, in the closing verses here in in, uh, 2 Thessalonians, Paul is trying to encourage the believers uh, for you know, one last time, that they need unity for the sake of the gospel, and uh, if they're, you know, basically, <clears throat> whenever you have a institution that has people in it, i.e., a church, what are you going to have? You're going to have problems, right? Why? Because we're all human, and we're all selfish, are we not? So uh, Paul is trying to uh, uh, to get them to uh, have unity within the church, and our, our theme this year is striving together. And and uh, as we're winding down the year, I just and and we're winding down the book of Second uh, Thessalonians. I I just find it very interesting that unity is the theme that Paul's closing the book on, and uh, we need unity in our church. We need unity. Every church needs unity. Uh, but last week, uh, well, let, let's go ahead and read Second uh, Thessalonians um, chapter 3, and ver- let's start reading in verse 6. It says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves uh, from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the traditions which he received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, For we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you uh, to follow us. For even we were with you this excuse me uh, for for even when we were with you this we commanded you that if any would not work neither should he eat for we hear that there are some that walketh among you disorderly working not at all uh, but are busybodies now them that are such command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you again for this day. Thank you for your love. And again, we ask that you would speak to our hearts and that you would help us to understand our our part in making the unity of a church work. Uh, We are so thankful and grateful for all that you do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, the thing, the first thing that we talked about last week, point number one, was Paul's authority. 
because Paul starts out in verse 6 and he uses the word command. And uh, we talked about this, but uh, <clears throat> Paul clearly identifies the commanding officer, if you would, that gave him the order to pass down. Uh, the word command means a command from a higher authority. And um, that authority is Lord Jesus Christ. And, and again, he identifies who it is and he uses all three names of the Lord. Uh, he uses the name Jesus, which means Savior or is his human name. He, he used the word, uh, the name Christ, which is his divine title, which means Messiah or the chosen one. And then he used the word Lord, which literally means Jehovah God. So the authority by which Paul is making this command is incredible. Now, is the command that, that Paul is giving us, uh, giving to the Th Thessalonians, is it applicable to us today? Absolutely it is. The second thing we talked about was Paul's concern, and Paul's concern was that <clears throat> there was uh, 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 problems within the church there in Thessalonica. And the first problem that he identifies here is that is that they were they were not working or they were not they were not laboring uh, inside the church and outside the church. They were they had become lazy, if you would. Uh, and he identifies them. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> and and he, he we talked about this last week, so I don't want to I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but it, it's important. Um, when was work established in Scripture? In Genesis, before sin. You know, most people think that, that work was something that happened after sin. Um, no, it just went from bad to worse, okay? Uh, well, I shouldn't say bad, because anyway. Uh, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, uh, it says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So work was established early on in the life of mankind. It just when sin happened, then work ceased to be fun and became work. Okay, <clears throat> so uh, there there was there was a a, 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 a a working issue, and this working issue was causing division in the church. Um, Paul identifies two, uh, a group of people that were causing this division, and he calls them uh, disorderly. Uh, the, the word disorderly there is a military term that literally means out of step or, or, or uh, <clears throat> uh, out of ranks. Um, so these people were causing division within the church, because they were out of step with the Word of God. Now, in a nutshell, uh, this group basically only cared about themselves. They didn't care about the stability of the church. They did not care about the, the, the function or the purpose of the church. Last week, we also talked about the fact that the church is a spiritual hospital where hurting and sick people 
spiritually hurting and sick people can come and get healing. That's what a church is for. They were troublemakers, and he also called them busybodies. Uh, The Greek word for busybody literally means to... uh, to, to fool around or to, to, to not take anything seriously. And then we talked about Paul's example in verse 9. <clears throat> now because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example an or example uh, unto you to follow us. Paul was putting his life on the line, so to speak. His, what, what he was saying is, look, I, I, I have done nothing. I, I, I did everything I did to be an example to you so that you could live for Christ. And as we talked about last week, that example does not stop at the pastor. It should be every one of us. Every one of us should be an, an example or an encouragement to everybody else. Because the last time I checked, some of us have strong points and others have different strong points, right? And when we all do our best to serve the Lord in unity, what happens? Great things are accomplished, right? Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another burdened, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We all need to bear the burdens of each other. Now, I want to I stop here. I want to give a plug for Wednesday night. <clears throat> okay? Wednesday night prayer and Bible study is important. Why is that? Because it is a time when our church comes together and we share our burdens in prayer time. Now, at the beginning of the service, I asked you if you had a prayer request to write it down on the card and put it in the offering plate. And for the most part, I'm probably the only one that sees that. And, and, and that's fine. And I, I love the ability to be able to pray for people. But when we come together on Wednesday night and we share our burdens, it is an incredible blessing to know that there are are multiple people praying for the same thing. But the problem is, if you don't come and share those burdens, nobody knows about them. And nobody nobody can pray for you. Now, I can pray for you if you write it down on the card and put it in the offering plate. But we as a corporate body of believers, we can't do that. It's important that we bear one another's burdens. So point number four. <clears throat> so we had Paul's authority, Paul's concerns, Paul's examples. And then uh, finally, <clears throat> uh, point number four, Paul's instructions. Paul's instructions. Let, let's look at verse 13. But ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him. 
that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Paul here gives us, in three verses, he gives us some closing instructions, if you would, on how to keep this unity that he's been talking about. And the first one <clears throat> that he's, he mentions in verse 13, let's read it again, because I'm sure this is familiar to a lot of you that have been in church uh, for any amount of time. But it says, but ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. What, what is Paul saying? Letter A in our, in our outline, don't quit. Don't quit. Isn't it easy when we see people in church not doing right to say, forget it, I'm done. I can't tell you how many people that I've met over the last several years that have told me, yeah, I used to go to church. And I said, and I'll, I'll, I'll typically I'll say something to the effect of, well, why don't you go to church anymore? Oh, it's people. I, 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 people have, have done me wrong. People have, and, and you fill in the blank. I mean, it, it could, it, it, I've, I've heard it all. At least I think I've heard it all. Probably not. But Paul addresses the faithful majority in the church. Let, let me say this. <clears throat> the faithful majority of the church, in, in most churches that I've ever been associated with, the faithful majority want to do right. But it's the minority that are the busybodies and the, what, Paul's, would, what Paul would call the troublemakers in the church are the minority. But those are the ones that hurt the church. And if we are going to be f faithful and striving together and have unity in our church, it is only going to be because the faithful my, uh, majority doesn't quit. Paul is saying, don't quit. Too often we become discouraged when we see trouble, troublemakers and busybodies at work in the church. It's a sad thing. When other Christians are taking the easy path and irresponsible irresponsibility uh, it is it, it becomes discouraging does it not I've seen it in churches now I, I honestly if, if this is happening in our church today I, I don't know of it and I praise God for that but if we're going to stay striving together and we're going to keep unity in our church it's only going to be because we recognize this problem and we do everything we can to stop it Because how, it, how is Satan going to destroy Grace Baptist Church? From the inside out. 
That's how he's going to destroy it. And that's how he destroys most churches. I came across a quote from a guy named D.L. Moody. He said this, I get weary in the work, but not weary of the work. When we do the work in our own flesh, we can become weary, can we not? But when we do it in the Spirit of God, we can, we can just keep going. And too often, we get our eyes on, on man and we get discouraged when we see God, <clears throat> or, or excuse me, let me rephrase that, when we see people doing things that they ought not do in church, do, do we not get discouraged? What, what, what is the cause of that? The cause of that is because we take our eyes off of Christ and we put them on men. Think back to the story of, of Peter when he was in the fishing boat and he saw Jesus coming across the water in the storm. And he says, that, hey, if that's really you, Jesus, then bid me to come to you. And, and Jesus says, come. And what does Peter do? Okay, well, first he jumped out of the boat, right? And he started walking. And as long as he was looking at Jesus, he was okay. But then what, the, what does the Bible say happened? He took his eyes off the Lord and he started looking at his circumstances. And as soon as he started looking at his circumstances, what happened? He began to sink. And, and we do the same thing in, our, in, in churches. We take our eyes off of, off of Christ and we put it on men. And as soon as we do that, we become discouraged. And Paul is saying here to the, to the Thessalonian believers, don't quit. Can you imagine <clears throat> what our Bible would look like if some of the great men and women of the faith quit? I, I sat there the other day, and I, as I was thinking about this idea of not quitting, I thought, wow, how much different would our Bible look if, if people quit? And I, <clears throat> so I went to Hebrews chapter 11. Who, what, who can tell me what Hebrews chapter 11 is known as? The hall of faith. And, 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 and <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11 verses 4 and 5. We're, we're going to read several verses here in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, it says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain by which he obtained witness of his righteousness, God testifying of his gift, and by it he being uh, dead yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. Can you imagine having such a close relationship with God. God says one to you one day, he says, hey, you know what? Just just come up here. And he doesn't die. He just disappears. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? That's faith. Verse 7, it says, and by faith, Noah being warned of God of things not yet seen. It had never rained before. But God said, no, I need you to build a boat. But I live in the desert. 
moved with fear. Not, not, he wasn't scared, but fear, reverent, a reverence for God. Prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is by faith. I want to ask you a question. Do you think Noah had any siblings? Absolutely he did. Do you think at the time of the flood that Noah's dad and mom were still alive? Absolutely they were. Think about this. Why wouldn't they get on the boat? Because they didn't believe. A man of faith. What would have happened if Noah had said, you know what, God? None of my family agrees with me. Noah had three daughters-in-laws. What about their families? What if, what if Noah had just followed the majority? And just said, you know what, God? I, 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 this, this boat thing is silly. I'm not going to keep doing this. No, by faith. Verse 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go into a place which he should uh, after receive an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whether he went. To the unknown, he went. Verse 11, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. How old was Sarah? She was 100 years old, I think. She received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him what? Faithful. Verse 20. By faith Isaac besought Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Verse 21. By faith Jacob, when he was uh, dying, blessed both his sons of, uh, sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. What about what about Joseph in the Old Testament? Jacob's son. What about Moses? Rahab and uh, Hebrews chapter eleven verses thirty-two and thirty-four. And when shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, and David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the the, uh, violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of wickedness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, 
turned to uh, flight uh, the armies of of the aliens. Those are people just mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. And then I started thinking, I said, what about Daniel? What about Mary and Joseph in the New Testament? What about Paul and Ruth? And, and, and the, the list could go on and on and on. People who were willing to stand up and say, you know what? I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit. And that's exactly what Paul was trying to get the people here to understand. But ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Don't quit. Don't quit. Now this next point, I hope you bear with me and, and allow me the opportunity to try to explain what I mean by this. Depart, but also be discerning. Depart, but also be discerning. Look at verse 14 and 15. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Paul very clearly here gives instruction to the to the believers of Thessalonica. And he says, he says, have no company with or depart from these individuals, the people who are causing division in the church. Have no company with them. Do not have anything to do with them. The, the, the word company here means to mingle or associate with. Now, <clears throat> on the surface, that can seem a little harsh. But why would Paul say something like that? Have you ever thought about that? Why, why would Paul say that? And I believe the answer is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Be not deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners. I had a conversation with somebody recently, and, and <clears throat> oftentimes... Uh, I, 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 I have come across many people through the years that have said, you know what, um, uh, I have a friend who uh, is not saved and uh, I, I'm trying to win them to Christ. Now, should we as believers try to win the lost? Right, okay? But what happens if we spend too much time or we associate or we mingle with the unsaved? According to this verse, what happens? Evil rubs off on good more often than good rubbing off on evil. Why? Because in our nature, we, we all are bad in our natures. And it's our tendency. We tend to the wrong 
not to the good. And we need to be very, very careful here. And Paul is saying, hey, have no company with. Do not mingle with these people that are causing division in the church. We see this play out in Scripture uh, multiple times throughout Scripture. <clears throat> but I, I, came, I, I have an example here for you. Hopefully we'll kind of help you understand what I'm talking about. <clears throat> After God did the ten miracles or the ten plagues in, in Egypt, the children of Israel were allowed to go. Finally, after the, the tenth plague, uh, Pharaoh finally says, okay, go, just just go. And <clears throat> the people were allowed to go. But the, the problem was that the people had been in Egypt so long that the evil... Uh, the the gods of Egypt had crept in to the children of Israel. And when they left Egypt, what did they do? They took their gods of Egypt with them. Let me read you in, in Joshua. Okay, <clears throat> now, from Exodus chapter 1, we have the, the, the plagues of Egypt, and we have the, the Exodus, they, they uh, God takes two to three million people across the desert. They get to the Red Sea. And we all know the story of the Red Sea. God, God parts the Red Sea. The people walk across the Red Sea on dry ground. Uh, the armies of Pharaoh destroyed. Over and over and over and over and over during the Exodus and then the 40 years of wandering, God does miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. In the book of Joshua, what has happened? Moses was dead. And the children of Israel have wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. God has supplied food and water, clothing, everything that they've needed for sustenance, God has provided for them. And yet, they're still holding on to the gods of Egypt. Deep into the book of Joshua. Okay, what, what happens in the book of Joshua? They, they go into the land, and again, we have the, the, the walls of Jericho collapse. And, and city after city after city, God gives them city after city. Miracle after miracle. In Joshua chapter 24. This is not Joshua chapter 1. This is Joshua chapter 24. Let's read. And I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them, and vineyards and olive yards which ye planted not, do you eat? Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him. Let me stop right there. Does God need to say that? He shouldn't. He shouldn't have to say, fear the Lord. They should already be fearing the Lord. 
But Joshua says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which, uh, which your father served on the other side of the flood in Egypt. What is the problem here? They were still allowing the evil gods of Egypt to influence their lives after all that God had done. And serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That conversation should not have taken place. But what happened? Evil almost always rubs off on good. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. What is Paul saying here? If any man obey not the word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him. Don't have anything to do with the the gods of this world. I love verse 15. Let's read verse 15 again. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. It's a good thing that I'm not God. I'm just saying. Because I'll, I'll be honest with you. If somebody make me mad, you know what I do? I'd zap them. Just. It, am, I, am I the only one? No. <laughs> okay? But God is long-suffering. And, and God here is saying, look, have no company with them, but remember, they're not the enemy. Think about that for a minute. They're not the enemy. We all, I think, have a built-in mechanism. In fact, I know we do. We have a built-in mechanism that if somebody hurts us, what do we do? Well, we want to hurt them back. But typically, what, primarily, what do we do? We, we want to have nothing to do with those individuals, do we not? We, we, we want to cut them off. And what Paul is saying here is, don't do that. Wait a minute. Remember, they're not the enemy. But he says, admonish them. Or what is the idea here is try to teach them. So how do we do that? 
How, how do we not associate with someone, but yet admonish them or teach them the right way? That's a good question. That's a good question. In the Old Testament, we're told of a guy named Abraham and a guy named Lot. Abraham, uh, we, we read it, he's in the hall of faith. And Abraham, God, God said to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to go to a land that you know nothing of. I want you to go there and just follow, just go where I tell you to go. And, and Abraham says, okay, God, I'll go. And he takes his brother's son. His brother died. And Abraham takes his brother's son or his nephew, and his name is Lot. And, the, and their, their, their caravans take off. And, and as, they, as, they, as time progresses, their, their herds get very large, and there is conflict within the two camps because the, the, the herds are intermingling and the, and the herdsmen are, are, are fighting and, and accusing each other and all this stuff's going on. In Genesis chapter 13, verses 8 through 12, it says, And Abraham said to Lot, uh, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdsmen and, and thy herdsmen. For we be brethren, and <clears throat> is not the whole land before thee. Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the, le the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld the plain of Jordan that was in the, uh, uh, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest to Zo Zoar. Then Lot chose, excuse me, then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves, the one from the other. And Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the city of the plain, cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. Now we know if you if you if you know the story uh, of, of of Lot, Lot does what eventually. Not only does he pitch his tent towards Sodom, what does eventually, where does he go? Okay, he, he moves to Sodom and he becomes uh, part of the, the city government, if you would. He's, he sits in the gate of Sodom. <clears throat> Even though there was problem and there was strife between Abraham and Lot, what happens when Lot got in trouble? Sodom, Sodom was overrun. And uh, Lot and his family were taken captive. In Genesis chapter 14, verses 14 to 16, and when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his, house, in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, and uh, he and his servants by night and smote them and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he 
brought back all the goods and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. So what happened? Here there was strife and, 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 and Abraham said, you know what, it'd be best if you go your way, I go my way. But what happened when Lot got in trouble? Abraham came to the rescue. They were not enemies. Abraham and Lot had different opinions. Far, far, <laughs> absolutely they were different in their, in their thinking. Yet Abraham did what he could to save his life. They were not enemies, but also Abraham wanted nothing to do with Lot's choices. I love what Abraham says to the king of Sodom. After, after he brings back all the people and all the goods and all of this, typically what would happen in that culture at the time, typically what would happen is all the spoil would go to Abraham. It was, it was the right thing to do because it was his army that got him out of the jam. And the way for quote-unquote payment would be for, for Abraham to take all the spoils. But I love what Abraham does here in, in Genesis chapter 14, verse 21 to 23. It says, And the king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the, the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abraham said to the, to the king of Sodom, I have left up mine hand, uh, I, I, excuse me, I have lift up my hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from, from a thread even to the shoelace, latch, the, the shoe latch, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou should say, I have made Abraham rich. What, what did Abraham say? You know what? I did this because my nephew Lot and his family had been taken captive. But I don't want nothing that you have. And I believe with all my heart, Abraham understood the principles of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33. Be not deceived. Evil communication, corrupt good manners. And he didn't want anything that would, become, that would come between him and God. How do we <clears throat> balance this act of departing but yet still loving. And the only answer that I've come up with is this. It takes love, patience, and grace to help an erring brother or sister in Christ, does it not? And as I thought about those three words, love, patience, and grace, 
I thought, wow, God demonstrates those three things in my life every day. Out of all of the attributes of God, I've said this before, I'll I'll say it a million more times, out of all of the attributes of God, the one that I appreciate the most is his patience with me. Because I do a lot of really dumb things. Just saying. And God's patience with me. But yet, when when my brothers and sisters in Christ let me down, am I always patient and loving and caring? No, I'm not. But God always is. And I I don't know, I this is just me, but I believe that in verse 15, that's exactly what Paul's trying to say. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. If we're going to have unity in our church, it's going to take love, patience, and grace. A lot of love, patience, and grace. If we're going to strive together for the gospel of Christ as a church, it's going to take love, patience, and grace. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't don't take your eyes off of Christ and put it on to men. Because you know what? Man will let you down every time. If I I'm just gonna say this. If if I haven't let you down yet, you've not been around me long enough. Just saying. Eventually, I will. Why? Because I'm stupid. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just saying. I, 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 do, I do stupid things. I say stupid things. Do, do we all not do that? But it takes love, patience, and grace to keep a church unified. Striving together for the gospel. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love, patience, and grace, not just in my life, but in the life of everyone here this morning. Why you have demonstrated so much love, patience, and grace in my life. I, I have no idea, but you have. And I am so thankful. And Lord, as we close our service, help us to remember as a church the need for those characteristics in our lives. The need to be able to discern 
the kind of people that we need to be spending time with and the kind of people that we need to avoid. The kind of people that are going to point me to Christ and the kind of people that are going to pull me away from Christ. Those are the kind of people I need to avoid. I need to be around people who are going to constantly be pushing me to walk with Christ. Help us, dear God, to have discernment. With every head bowed and every eye closed, little